You're listening to The Comedy Cellar, live from the table, on the Riotcast Network, riotcast.com. All right, good evening, everybody. Welcome to The Comedy Cellar Show here on Sirius XM Channel 99. My name is Noam Dorman. I'm the owner of The Comedy Cellar. We're at the back table at The Comedy Cellar with Jared Freed and Chris Gethard. Hello, hello. Uh, did I pronounce your name right? Chris it's Gethard. Gethard. Yeah, you came very cl- very close. There's worse mispronunciations for sure. The only reason I don't know is because the MCs mispronounce it. All the time. All the time. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would get it right if it was. And, and uh, Chris, we don't really know each other. No, I, I think this might be the first time we've spoken. Yeah. Thank I, you for having me on the show. Well, thank you for coming. I, I saw your act uh, for the first time a couple days ago. And I thought you were fantastic. Oh, thanks. But you don't need to hear that from me because uh, um, apparently there's a huge buzz about you now all through the, the comedy world. Well, I don't, that's I don't expect, nice. you don't, I know you don't want to say that. but Yeah, uh, no, Ju- I can't. Isn't Judd Apatow, didn't he uh, produce or direct your latest? Yeah, I had a special on HBO that Judd produced. And is, it, is it airing now? Yeah, it came out a couple months ago and it's on demand now and I was very happy with it. And It's nice. I, I will say this though, like... Not blowing smoke in any way. Hearing you say that I did well here means just as much to me. Like, I uh, I can say that genuinely. Well, it, like, it, it shouldn't. <laughs> no, it, I, I was telling people, like, I actually got passed right after it aired. Like, I've always, um, like many people, put the cellar in, like, such rarefied air that I was like, now is the t- Clearly, the, the week my HBO special airs is a great time to uh, maybe ask for that audition. And I was as nervous auditioning here as I was taping the special and that's not a lie well I'd like to talk about that actually but this this is what really should make you feel good I was sitting with a friend and he had his girlfriend with him who I, I didn't know and you walked by and she said is that Chris Gethard right so she said oh and she was like like totally starstruck all right about, so girlfriend stamp of approval well, well, I'm no, big I mean, with I'm, other men's girlfriends that's my yeah, target well, demographic it, yeah. it, meaning that it's it, it, you know it's seeping it's, out into the into the ge- general public now there's a few things I, I don't want I don't this is not going to focus on him not it's a just problem. That, I'm just kind of meeting him for the first time Jared so, but uh, there's a, there's a lot of things are you familiar with him his Very, book? yeah I, I'm a, I'm a fan too I, I uh, yeah I've seen the special I loved it I you know, thank you. I know, you know, the, uh, I haven't seen the, the movies. You've been in, like, super successful movies like recently. Very small parts. Very small parts. But they've been, like, the best-received movies of the year. Which movies? It, oh, I was in Don't Think Twice, with which Mike Birbiglia directed. I had, like, a pretty decent-sized part in that. That was very flattering. Mike's, like, a very good friend of mine and has, has helped me a lot over the years. And Mike then, used to like me. Uh, n- not anymore. We, oh. we, argue, we argue politics, and he's like, he's out oh, on really? You. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, his last his last answer to me was whatever gets you through the day, Noam. That's oh, <laughs> I'll have to talk to him about that. But then yeah, I was in um, like the Heat and the other guys, and but I've been cut from a lot of successful. But what's, but what's the most recent? Are you in the uh, are you in the Big Sick too? No, I'm no, not okay. in the Big Sick. I thought you were in. No, I'm sorry, no. but but don't think twice. It's like one of the most highest uh, received on Rotten Tomatoes, like ever. Yeah. Yeah, it's. Uh, well, what, I think what he's saying is that he doesn't take credit for that. No, that was Alber Biggs. That was Alber Biggs. So, but this is what interesting. So you you have is this still? I, I'm going from Wikipedia because our producer Calabria. I, I tell him every week, can you please just give me a little throw some notes? And, up. and he doesn't. He's he's horrible. Yeah. And by the way, I I really want to air how horrible he is. If if it comes, is that too loud for you? No, no, oh. no. I was just scratching my ear because of an itch situation. But do you have a public access show streaming streaming around the world? <laughs> I did. For four years, I was on New York Public Access. And then uh, my show, it got picked up by a very small network called Fusion. We were there for two years. And then on August 3rd, 
Uh, we debut on True TV. It's a much bigger network, so it keeps kind of just like climbing the ladder. And dude, I was at a meeting at True TV. Is it live? It is. It's live. It's going to be their first ever live show. And and we were pitching something something for the Comedy Cellar, mm. and she was like all buzzing about this new show that they were about to have on. I, I'm pretty sure she said it was live because it was six yeah. on and she wouldn't tell us what it was. Oh, yeah. But they this were, guy. It was you. They were really excited. Like, our problems are over. We, we don't <laughs> I don't need know you. about that. No, we'll see how it goes. They're very happy about it. Back that. up the brinks. Gethard is here. <laughs> so, uh, and, and there's all these kind of, like, weird, like, offbeat Things. Yeah, uh, it says fan interact. So tell us, tell, tell me a little bit about the, these these offbeat things that you've done. Well, let's see. I like, you know, I've been like working in New York seventeen years and uh, seventeen years. Yeah, and we didn't know you. Yeah, well, a lot of it was at UCB. Uh, that's where I came up. Was in the improv world. So you know, very different corner of the comedy world, and kind of did that. And uh, you know, all my friends started like getting gigs and stuff, and that was like very cool. And then I got a job on a sitcom in 2010, and it, it didn't go well. And that was okay, but I, I kind of was like, man, I've been, like, chasing all these... Like, I don't like really like sitcoms. Like, no offense to the people who are in them and make them. More power to you. They're just not my thing. And, and you're saying other Why people's lines, doing? right? Yeah, just, and, like, also this, the reviews for this show I was in, like, I really took it on the chin. Like, a lot of them blamed me. And that's okay, but that's, like, what you sign up for. But I was like, I've always been, like, a little bit of a weirder guy... And the comedy I like has always been a little more strange and aggressive. Like, why am I trying to... It's all ego, you know? It's like all ego that's making me chase those jobs. So that's when I went on public access TV. It was like less than a year after I'd been the star of a sitcom, I was hosting a public access show. And it was all, it's all just like, you know, it was just a lot of like, if I'm ever going to get creamed like that again with reviews and in the press, it better at least be for something that I care about and that I'll stand by. So yeah, I spent four years on public access because that was the only place that would give me a show. And how, how did it eventually bubble up to Judd seeing you? And Well, let's see. Like, it was all, you know, everything kind of feeds each other. So um, around 2007 is when I started doing stand-up. And uh, a lot of that in, like, the alt world. Um, and then a lot of, like, the Brooklyn rooms. Like, a lot of the artsier spaces that accommodate stranger stuff like mine. And then I just hit a point where... I would look at people and, you know, you see people who find one corner of the world that feels safe for them and then they just stay there forever. And I was like, and that's great. And that's, that's, even that's not easy with comedy. Like you see more often people just eat it until they go away. So even finding one place, but I would look at guys like, like Berbiglia, like John Mulaney, where I was like, oh, these dudes will like drop by UCB when I'm there and they'll kill in front of like all these improv nerds. And then they'll go out to Brooklyn and do some like, artsy show there and then they'll be at the at the cellar at the end of the night and you'll see like oh there's certain people where they can just go everywhere like that's Aziz right. was another guy where it's like that guy can just go anywhere in this city and kill and that's what there is to aspire to for me so I really started focusing so much on stand up whatever I could do and I just always found that anytime I tried to do outright just like set up punchline joke writing it's just always there's people much better at that but I just was like not scared to just be honest just like brutally honest so a lot of my stand-up is just, like, more story-based, very honest stuff, very, um, like, I don't really mind talking about personal stuff and sad stuff, and uh, Judd caught wind of that eventually. Like where, I, where, where did he see you? He, I first met him, I did Pete Holmes's podcast live at South by Southwest, and if you listen to that episode, it's a complete disaster for me. Like, Pete put me on after Judd, so the crowd did not care that I was there, and then... Um, a lot of that podcast was Pete and Kumail making fun of the fact that I didn't have a career and like asking Judd if he would help me and him kind of being like, I don't, I don't really know this guy. 
So that was the first time I met him, and that was pretty brutal. And then we just ran into each other a few times over the years. And uh, then I did Whiplash one night, and, and he was like, I hear you've been doing this really... What's Whiplash? It's a stand-up show up at UCB. Okay. Um, sorry to mention it. I, I don't you know. You say UCB one more fucking time. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, this I'm is my kidding, background. I'm kidding. No, I'm kidding. I've moved on, though. I've, I, even kidding. I don't hang out there anymore. It's fine. I'm so sorry. I'll stop. I'll stop. Some other unnamed venue. No, that's um, a joke. But I saw, I saw Judd there, and I had been doing this show that was like a very dark, personal show out in Brooklyn. I was workshopping it, and he had heard about it somehow. I think through Burbiglia, but I've never been sure, and he was just like... That sounds right. He was like, do you have any video? You got any video of this show you've been doing? And I was like, yeah, I just taped it. And then he just started calling me. He just like sent me an email like, hey, man, I watched your show. I have some thoughts. You mind if I give you a call? And I was like, no, of course. And he just, he was very nice about it too. He's like, you know, if you don't want notes, that's fine. And I was like, no, of course I want notes from Judd Apatow on my like emo comedy. Like if you're doing comedy with emotion, yeah, you want Judd Apatow involved. And he just was so nice, so kind. And then um, he was in New York, one time he was in New York and he asked me to get lunch and he was just like, I really like your show. He's like, I think I can help you with notes. He's like, I also just get the sense that you're a terrible businessman. And I was like, absolutely true. And he got on board and... It was really crazy. It's like, this is how different his life is than mine. He emailed me one day and he just goes, hey, I sent your video to the president of HBO. He liked it. And I was like, okay, like as simple as that for you, huh? Like, you know, most of us would like kill to get a meeting with the president of HBO. We'd prepare for months. And he just like emailed it to... Judd is a whole nother subject because this guy, aside from being a a great stand-up comic, and he's really become like that. He seems to just have this, like a, you know, like Clive Davis in the music world could just, with, with a, almost a perfect batting average, just see, and it's, not a, and it's not that each thing is a repetition of the same type of thing over and over, it's across genres, across types, and just almost perfectly see, oh, th- this guy is going to work. Yeah, he recognizes talent. And it does, you know, yeah. and it's, it's it, I haven't seen him, I mean, he apparently heard Amy on the Howard Stern show. And that's how he knew. It, from outside, it almost seems egoless, you Judd. know, for Judd to look at someone and be like, "I like what you do. Here's a couple things that I'm thinking." You know, just feel like that takes someone who's like totally okay with their stance and lot, you know, where they are to be like, "Hey, I think I can help this person to make it even greater." You know, it's yeah. cooperative. It's, it, that's what it seems like from the outside. Yeah, and when he when he kind of went to bat for me too, it's like it's one of those things where you're like, "Oh, now I'm a part of this lineage and I better work my ass off." You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like I can't I better not sleep. Right. I better just stay up working on this thing because if he's putting his time into it, like I can't waste his time. There's a million other people who he could be helping right now. He's helping me. And I always laugh too like when I was on Pete's podcast, he and Kumail and I were all on it. It was all the first time we'd met Judd. And now this year, Judd's producing Pete's show, Kumail's movie, and my special. And it was like, oh, that has to be the most productive podcast taping of yeah. all time. <laughs> like, it has to be. It was, it's, just, it's just crazy. And, I got and, a feeling about this one. Yeah, I think this could think really this go. Could be this, podcast, this could be the next one. This right here. <laughs> this could be the next most productive. I'm going to be a star? Yeah, yeah. We're all going to be stars after this. We're going to be talking about this podcast taping. Was, was there a moment where he had to tell you that it, that he thought a joke was just not good or yeah i mean there were definitely times where he was you know he would does always, he does he is he diplomatic about it or he just says look dude both he can be both you know and i think he was also very good at sensing where i was at um and and massaging it as necessary but there were definitely not not only like not good but there were times where he'd say that one's cheap like that one's cheap compared to it and and the special a lot of it is about all of it really is about like um 
like my experiences with like depression and suicide and stuff. So that's pretty sensitive stuff. Are, are you clinically depressed? You, 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 yeah, I've been medicated for years, many years. You're currently taking medication. Oh yeah, for ten years I've been taking medication, um, and then for two years before that, but I was I had a gap in between that didn't work out well. Is it in and, your family as well? Yeah, yeah, all kinds of stuff, all kinds of stuff. So Judd was very respectful of that, giving me notes. But a lot of times where he'd say, you know, you're talking about this stuff, it's very serious. That's a cheap joke. And you really have to, with this material, more than other material, like, what if somebody's out there watching it and they've lost someone to this stuff? You want a cheap joke in there? You can't have cheap jokes, you know? And one of the other really crazy things about him was, you know, being a stand-up, you want punchlines. Where's the laughs? Where's the punchlines? Unapologetic. Go get it. And he very quickly stepped in and was like, you know, with this stuff... You're going to have to be okay with stretches that are silent or stretches that are uncomfortable or stretches that aren't funny. Get it out of your head. I, 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 I agree with that. I mean, as an owner and, and uh, like a guy who has to watch it, and I've talked about this before, that uh, I shouldn't say as an owner, as an audience member, that I think, I think it applies to all of us. We're more enthralled by the, the interesting than we are by the, the punchlines and the, and the laughs. But from the performer's point of view, if you don't hear the laughs, that's you, you don't know. You're flying blind. You, certain performers have so much confidence and are just in tune. They know, no, uh, I'm being interesting, and, and they kind of can lay back and be confident about that. But I notice some people can't, and it almost paralyzes them some. They just have to get that laugh. So a good director, yeah. I guess, can really help you be confident enough to 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 trust yourself and just be interesting. As an audience member, it's great to hear somebody be interesting. You know, Lu yeah. Louis will do a long time, and he'll, he'll, he'll spatter in a laugh, but they're not big laughs. You're just kind of listening to what he's talking about. Carlin was the same way. Yeah, it's really, it, it's, it's very inspiring to see people who do it and to have, it was, it was fun. I, I also have so much insecurity because I didn't start as a stand-up, and I always have all this anxiety that I'm being, you know, like, our stand-up's gonna think I'm a real stand-up. Which at the end of the day, on my best days, I'm like, oh, if you can go on a stage and get laughs, then people respect you. Like, at the end of the day, if you do your job, people respect it. But I think I also had that in my head of like, this is gonna be on HBO, it's a huge platform, I wanna like prove that I can go out there and just like tear it up. And he had to step in, Judd really stepped in and in a very gentle way was like, the best thing we can do for this one is just let it kind of be what it wants to be. Like, let it organically turn into what it is, which is not, so many laughs per minute like it's not that let it be what it is and thank god because i think it really informed everything and, and i'm very proud of what it became and for you to have judd apatow telling you like oh i can trust you because it's judd oh yeah, yeah. I, i'm I've, i'm really good at shutting up and listening to people who are smarter than i am did That's you a skill of mine anybody see neil brennan's that three mic thing he did yeah he did it. a good job of 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 i mean he kind of separated them out into the punchlines or whatever it was uh, but but just the the part I think that everybody liked best was when he was just talking about like his treatment for depression and his was a magnetic resonance therapy or something right. he had. Which yeah. is just, did you did you see? I it? didn't see it. No, I saw like the beginning and then. I... Is it on Netflix also? I think it's on Netflix. Yeah, I haven't seen it on Netflix, but it's pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, uh, I mean the stories that people have who are depressed. I know a lot of people who are depressed. I would imagine. <laughs> yeah. I would imagine. <laughs> Nobody in everyday come life. Across, come too. across a couple. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that comedians are more depressed than, than, no, uh, than everyday people. I think people. that's a myth. I think, I think it, so our too. jobs are to talk about our lives. Like, we air it out more. Yeah, I, I think that that's, that's what it yeah, is. Yeah, it's like when a joke gets a, oh, and you're like, that's not the reaction I want. It's just, oh, I'm just speaking something that you feel badly about. Right. You know, it's not, it's not that I'm depressed, but I'm just saying that's how I, I feel about it, and yeah. I'm the only one telling you. Look, I mean, if, 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 if you figure 15% uh, of the 
popu male population has erectile dysfunction or something, mm -hmm. right? But of if you just judge it by who talked about it, you would think 50% of comedians did. You yeah. know, like, like because they're the only ones who are going to talk about it. And, and everyone's yeah. just silent about it. Oh, a lot of comedians have erectile dysfunction. Sure. But it's probably the same across the population. I don't think that comedians are more I depressed. Do, the only thing I think they're extra. I don't have erectile dysfunction. I just want to let all the women know. <laughs> I do have depression. I can say that. the erectile dysfunction that comes and goes depending on what medications I'm on for the depression. So it all goes hand in hand. I've heard that. Yeah, it happens sometimes, but not in a while. But I do. I also do think comedian. You know, someone who wants to get on stage and talk about what they're observing about life is probably maybe someone who feels a little more prone to not being in the flow of life. You know. Wait, say it again. I've I've thought about that. That like. If you have made your life and your job, like, here's the things I notice that are strange about the world around me, messed yeah. up around the, about the world around me, might be fair to say that you, it's, a, it's a type of person who doesn't necessarily feel like they fit in in the world around them. Right. Or else why would they be so prone to pointing it out? So in that sense, I can see why there's this idea that comedians are depressed because it's like, yeah, all they do is think about the things about life that are broken or strange or frustrating all day every day. And if you're built to see that stuff, yeah, you're probably someone who is pretty in tune with the frustration and isolation that can come with that. When you, when you see somebody that's like just really smooth, look like they're comfortable in their own skin, to, as, as if they totally fit in, I, I often suspect it's an act in some way. I find it infuriating. <laughs> I often find it infuriating. <laughs> yeah. I'm just wishful thinking that it's an act. Yeah. I mean, it, it's not. Everybody's got to have their issues, right? Well, maybe not. Everyone's got something. I think, you know, like I, I think I think I come off, you know, personally as someone, you know, look, people look at me and always like, oh, you got you kind of have a certain look where it's like bro -y and don't really have a care in the world. But like everyone's got their shit. You seem you quite cares? confident. You I seem have a couple cares. Confident. You know, I, yeah, I have some confidence, but I mean, like I I don't think that like I, I don't think I go without having a day where you're like, oh, what the hell did I say yesterday? And what am I doing today? And wow. what am I doing with my life? I think everyone has that. And it, like I think we're all like I, I do genuinely think that we're all pretty much ten percent away from each other, in our thoughts and our feelings. So it's like if I feel a certain way, I'm assuming most people feel that way too. It's like when you wake up, you know, the day, like I'll wake up hungover and I'll be like, "What did I do last night?" And it's like, and then I think about what I think of other people, and I'm like, "Oh, I don't even notice anyone else." And I'm like, "Yeah, probably no one noticed you either." Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's yeah. Uh, it's it's usually how it goes. It doesn't seem like Barack Obama has those thoughts, does it? I mean, he seems like the most just comfortable and as long as getting confident guy ever, <laughs> ever. He does. I, I got to assume that he wakes up some mornings and be like... Cries like a little girl. Yeah. Like <laughs> with what he knows and all that stuff. Or, you know, he gets erectile dysfunction too. No, <laughs> you know, like, I think He's like, I, I'm sure he's looked into, you know, Michelle's eyes and been like, I'm sorry, I'm usually better at this. You know, after sex. You know, like I'm sure he's had that moment. Just like all of us. Have you ever said that to a girl? Of course, my bad. I'm usually... Really? Yeah, I've said that. I've had, I've had moments. You, have you said stuff like that? Oh, I've apologized many times. Yeah. yeah. My oh. wife told Fuck, me... Like, ah, you my know. wife has told me that our first time was not good. Right. Years later, my wife was like, the first time was... I, I was underwhelmed. Right, but, she, but, she, but girls are so forgiving about these things. She yeah, because they it. know... You, they it. just want to know that you're not a weirdo and not going to, like, creep... I had a girl tell me the other day, that she was like... I was. She was just like the first time. You know, you you're just like okay with it, and girls want to stay with a guy more because they're like, we can make this better. Uh -huh. You know, they're like, oh, this is this is something I can work with. It's a guy with a regular sized penis and a good personality that's not going to rape me. You know, and then you get past that and you're like, okay, I feel safe now. We can start getting comfortable with each other. And 
you know, I think with guys, we're just like, we're just looking to punch stuff out. You know, like we're like, okay, come, 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 come. And it's like, you know, because we are every time. You know, there's a very, very, so I think it's like the comfortability for us is different. I, I don't know. I don't know. But I, I don't think apo- <laughs> I don't think apologizing after sex actually. Uh, I don't think it helps. I don't think it's a good like, look. Like normally, there's, there are situations where if you don't apologize, whoever you didn't apologize is that fucker didn't even apologize. Yeah. I don't think sex is one of those. Th- I don't. I don't think I want to say. You know, he, I don't, he, I he, I don't apologize apo- afterwards. I want to be clear. I apologize during. Oh. During. During. <laughs> much different. Much different. I mean, I just want to let her know that this is like a. This isn't an everyday thing. Like, hey, we can get better. You know, yeah. like this isn't this isn't the norm. I don't want because, like, especially as like a guy, you know, guys have egos. So you walk away like a lot of women will be like, "Did he think that was great?" You know, I don't yeah. want her ever thinking that if it's a bad. When I know I perform badly in anything, I just want to admit it to be like, "I know I'm not in this crazy world." Speaking of Jared performing badly, oh. um, <laughs> Jared actually got his start here on True TV. Yeah, did you know this story? No, he, which show? They were doing a documentary about the. Uh, Comedy seller and somebody approached us and asked if you could audition. Well, Lenny suggested me. Oh, Len- Lenny Marcus. And then a week later, I get a call from Lenny being like, "Hey, they're doing a documentary about the seller. They're asking if you can tape your audition for this True TV show." Oh, that's brutal. So I'm it's like, already so stressful. It's stressful, and I'm all. And at this point, like, I can't say no. You know, you guys are asking. What am I going to say? No, and be a. Uh, you you could have said no. I could have said was, no. It was True TV asking. Not but us. I was just like in a position where I was like, I've never been here before, and I was like, you know, I'll of course whatever they need. You know, that was kind of my feeling. But it was like a double down on my bet. And the audition didn't go that well, as I as it didn't I go great. I I, I could have oh, done wow. better, but it was very nerve wracking. Um, and you know, it, I wish it would have gone better, but uh, it was just like, you know, going down st- down the stairs, like you know, we all know the feeling. It's like, and the and then you have a camera in your face, and they're like, well, don't worry about us, we're cheering for you, but the camera's like, you know, now I have it on tape, yeah. and it's like, there's the added bonus of like, if I didn't have a get in moment or like be able to work the you know the seller be like you know friends and family see that and i kind of had like i remember when i came out i had to post like that i i just felt like i had the need to have this like long admittance kind of you know bad sexual experience to be like hey uh it i don't know what it's gonna look like or how i'm gonna look um but i just want to let you know that like now i'm working there and it's been a great experience but this is what it is this is the situation that you know was presented and i took it you know so yeah, I, I don't remember the audition, but I remember it was. Uh, <laughs> but no. I, I've I've gone I've begun to mistrust the whole audition process. But that's for, that's for another day, I guess. Just really, I, yeah. I I know, like I'm a musician. I I, I know that uh, it's nerve wracking. Yeah. And some people can really handle that, but some really talented people can't, and it and it does it does make them bomb, or it it does get in their heads. And uh, now with YouTube, and there's so many other ways to see someone, uh, I put a lot of stock in, in just seeing what people can do online. If somebody has a bad audition that made me laugh online, yeah. I kind of trust what I saw online more than I trust the audition. I, it's funny, because my wife, I was telling my wife I was auditioning, and she saw how nervous I was, and she's like, you perform all the time. And, she, and, and I said, I, my perspective, I was like, yeah, but at this place... It's not about how good you are in a vacuum, because you have nights here, everybody knows, legendarily, where it's like, all of a sudden, you might randomly wind up going up between 
Seinfeld and Chris Rock. Like, that happens here every once in a while. Yeah, right. And I felt like the audition was more about, can you handle that? Can you handle being thrown into the fire on this stage and still pull off your act adequately? Like, that's how I viewed it. So I apparently made up a whole dialogue in my head that you actually do not prescribe by. Well, no. you, you, sure, you sure got that wrong. Because first of all, <laughs> first of all, SD doesn't even speak English. Okay, so, okay, so, fair so. to know. Okay, I'm, so. I wish I knew that before. <laughs> no, she speaks a little English. But, but uh, um, it's... It, I don't want. I don't want to get Esty mad because she gets mad when I talk this way. Well, I, I think. But I think that my father used to say, "You could not even speak the language, and you could go there and you could say, you could know who the good comics were." There's no like. It, it really is. And comedians don't like to hear this or not, but it really is. If the audience likes you, that's it. To me, you know, I'm. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm. I like good art. I hope you're artistic, but you know. If, well, I, I think for me especially, like I, you know, I'm like. I try to be a bigger act. Like, I try to, like, be high energy and stuff like that. And it took me some time, especially downstairs, getting used to, like, toning it down. I think it took me time to be like, okay, and feel the surroundings of the room and realize that you have two people that are two inches from you. Just like your sex life in every Just way. like my sex life. <laughs> tone it down. Tone it down. Apologize halfway through. Relax. Apologize halfway through. You know, let them know that you're here with them. You know, but then I would go to the VU, and the VU, I was like, Right away, I was like, oh, this room feels like a very me room because I could be bigger because it is, you know, and I could believe with the music and kind of dance around a little bit. Then I would, but then what helped me personally was, you know, just feeling confident here and not feeling as it was the fat black when because I kind of started here right when the fat black started opening as a room. And for me, I felt like, you know, I don't think everyone like was excited as excited to be in the fat black as I was as excited because they you know especially some of the people that have been here a while they're used to downstairs yeah, and Gad Gad Elmola used to call it Guantanamo Guantanamo <laughs> yeah, yeah but for me that was my Super Bowl like I could go in there and kind of sing dance and dust and like do my thing and feel like I could be a part of the room and I think that kind of helped me personally where you know then it was like oh okay I and then I got confident there to get confident here and by the way, I think that the the spots sandwiched in between those famous acts, I think those are actually the easy spots. Like, I, I don't worry about who's gonna go between two spots like that. I, I if I if I had to say what the standard was, okay, on a night when nobody famous comes, yeah, can this yeah. guy have people walking away thinking, well, no, I didn't see anybody famous, but they were just as funny they as were, somebody. They were and, and we do get emails like that all the time. Like, no, people are disappointed that nobody famous came some tourists but i have to say that everybody we saw was funnier than you know well that, that's the thing about emceeing here like uh, you notice like when someone big comes there's the feeling because they've heard of famous people coming here that they're like i got my thing yeah i got my story so now everything else is cake you know i got my seller moment i can go talk about it at the office or go talk about it with friends but now i can just relax because then when there's no one here there is this thing when you say like You've seen this next person on Trainwreck and uh, you know Schumer show, and then it's like Keith Robinson. Just to fuck with him, I, I, I would, but I, you know, but where they go, they, there's the the entrances of you know someone that you're like, oh, this could this could be it. Uh, we'll see, you know, we'll see if you're as good as the one I just thought of. Right. You know, so I do. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. Or those nights, it feels like it's like, oh. You know, we're, we're cool now. We did it. Yeah, the, the audiences are pretty easy, I think, about that stuff. Have you worked in the Fat Black? I've been there once, um, but not much. Yeah. Just the one time. Was it Guantanamo-ish? No, I had a great time. You did have a good time. Yeah, I enjoyed it. 
But I enjoy every room. I'm just happy to be, I'm just very happy to be allowed to go anywhere, if I'm being honest. Like, every show I can do, I learn something. Just, like, go for it. Who cares? Well, I mean, Louis, for instance, mm. when we first opened the Underground, the Underground's gotten a lot better since we opened it. But at first, it was a little bit tougher before we made certain changes. Okay. But, but Louis immediately wanted to do the Underground all the time because he wanted to do the tougher room. Interesting. Yeah, and and I mean for obvious reasons, and that, and that shows how smart he is. You know, yeah. he he didn't he didn't want the huge laughs that he knew he could get from the tiny intimate room in the cellar. Yeah. He wanted a more realistic uh, view of what he was doing. So he immediately gravitated towards the tougher rooms. And the truth is that like the comics who are really really good, it doesn't matter what room they go up in. Yeah, they kill in every room. I remember when I used to in the Cafe Wa, which was a tough room for comics. Attell always killed. Ray Romano always killed. John Stewart always killed. Dave Chappelle always killed. As yeah. hard as they would in any other room. Other comics, I won't mention their names, who were like pretty respectable acts in the cellar, but would die there. And it was predictable. It happened over and over again. And you really could see that the the really special talents were bulletproof. It didn't matter. It didn't matter where they went. It didn't matter where they went. Yeah. For whatever that's worth. I mean, well, you know, I think, you know, as a, you're working towards that too you know and that's what the beauty is of all the three rooms because it's three different types of performances i i really do believe that like it, it can be you know it's three different types of you know vibes in the room versus you know downstairs vu fat black and you know if you can get used to all three they kind of form into one where then you become bulletproof you know so what else you, you, you have kids no you married married a couple years three years next month are you gonna have kids yeah gonna try See how it goes. It's the best thing ever. You, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I would like to pull it off someday. I'm single and trying my best not yeah. to have kids. Yeah. That's my trying not to have kids. Yeah, yeah. That's my. That's yeah. every day. <laughs> using condoms. Every day I try not to have kids. I use condoms every I, time. Every time. Oh come on. I am. Why? I can't do it. I I rather mentally feel good than penis feel good. Are you actively discouraging condom use right now? <laughs> no, I'm just being realistic. No, I, I, I can't. I, 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 no, I, I mean, I had a girl that wanted to no, go no condom, and I was like, and it made me uncomfortable. And then she felt uncomfortable that I felt uncomfortable, and I was like, that's an insanity. That you tonight, like, and she'd be like, I feel like you're holding back from me if you won't not use a condom. And I was like, no, 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 that's crazy. I don't feel comfortable with this. I'm out of here. Well, have you ever had sex without a condom? Yeah, of course. But what do I you mean, of course? You just, well, I, when I had a serious girlfriend and I knew she was, you know, that we were being safe. And but like in this world of, you know, of Bumble and Tinder and dating apps, I, I, I'm rather, I want my head straight, and I can't keep my head straight if I'm like, you know, flinging it around. Well, all right. I, I think that that. Just this is we're way off the topic here, but sure. I, I've often believed that the worst, the worst sex, the worst you'll ever be at sex yeah. as a man, is when you're wearing a condom. Really? Because there's no there's there's no subtlety in in it's it's almost like I made a joke. It's almost as close as you can ever be to a lesbian strapping on a dildo. Yeah, yeah, like you, you really to, can't feel. I would anything. argue the worst. Yeah. There's the worst. moments to go. There's there's a whole process. Yeah, I would I would argue there's even an even more specific level, which is a situation I was in. Being in a relationship for years where there's no condom, and then the first handful of times you're back on the dating scene and uh, have to use a condom when you haven't had to use one for like five years. It's horrible. <laughs> That's the worst sex. Because it's also it's a mentally, step back. and you're yeah. so excited to be back in the game and like picking somebody up and bringing somebody home, and it's actually happening. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it feels like someone's just like gripping you with a death grip. It's not good. Not a good scene. <laughs> Those are the real apologize ones. Can't they invent something? Better than 
you know, male, male pill. On? The male no, pill. No, that's that, wouldn't protect, that wouldn't protect you against d- diseases. But I mean, some, some yeah. sort of some thin coat micro spray. Micro spray. There's got to be. But that's be. a very unsexy process. It's Hold on, <laughs> it's time for me to bust <laughs> out the aerosol no, can. she can do it. She can Let do it. Let me binaca my dick. Yeah. <laughs> it just doesn't seem like this is the best science can do. Yeah. I don't know. I I'm okay. I'm just like happy to be in the game. I I I'm happy to not be in the baby game and feel good about it. Like when I come away from a sexual experience where I know everything went safely, I actually am like calmed by that. How many products, how many technologies hit the brick wall in like 1925? There's not that many. Like condoms yeah. are not maybe That's they're a little it. bit thinner. It's almost like they got with condoms like, okay, at least this is out of the way. Let's stop inventing better shit. It's a ridiculous. Anyway, I'm, I'm getting a vasectomy, by the way. Are you? On, are. On, on August 24th. Wow. The day that we'll live in. Yeah. Uh, you say why or why? No, I said wow. Well, yeah, my wife uh, insisted. Insisted. I'm, I'm dreading it. I'm trying to figure out how I can Why are you away. dreading it? I, Does I it can, hurt? I, assume, I, heard, I, I, I assume think we it, can I, suss this out. Yeah, but I think it's like, I, I, I've heard it's like just some first of small all, procedure. First of all... Uh, Yes. First of all, <laughs> when it's sc- done on you. No, I'm scared of the. I'm scared of needles and all these things. Yeah, I, have, okay. I have a thing, but I'm not. I'm not paralyzed by the fear, but I am scared of these things. So just the very fact that I'm going to have an incision in my scrotum. I got you. Is scaring me. Then it's apparently it's two days of swollen balls or they. I've heard this. And then I had a friend who got it and he had to rent a hotel room because he had young kids. And if they like jumped on him or anything, it would have been like instant back to the hospital. Oh my god! So he had to rent a hotel and just hang out playing cards for like three or four days. And Oof. then, and then the, the the words of my doctor keep reverberating through my ear, my head when he when I told him I, I said I wanted my wife wanted me to get a vasectomy. I just had my third child. Congrats! I, I said, what do you thank you? He said, I said, what do you think? He said, well, are you sure you don't ever want to have any more children? I'm like, yeah, we don't want any more children. He goes said, if your wife and all your children should perish in a terrible car accident, oh my are you God. sure you never want to have children then? That's what he said? Yeah, that's what he said. And I'm like, well, it's reversible, isn't it? He's, <laughs> like, he's like, no, you, it, it may not be reversible. Doctors speak in this such weird way because they're all trying to get around lawyers and stuff. No, so that's like, what he should say to you. I know, but still, like, it's like they. I just had recently had an issue with the doc where it's like, I was like, are you saying this to me right now? And then they're, they're like, they won't be definite they're always like half in because they don't want to get sued so they're like you could do this or you could do that I don't know and then it's like I don't know I hate this no doctor comes at you with like just like yeah go for it it's cool like they're never relaxed well in in any event so I just I just and then I don't know this is stupid but I feel like I don't know I feel like I'd be half a man you're losing your man yeah just like vasectomy it's like okay there's another thing I'm getting older does it still come out like the the yeah, buckets. Buckets. Bucket. Yeah. <laughs> I'm getting older. And oh no, it's still coming out after the vasectomy? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it comes out. Yes, it comes out apparently it comes out the same way. Okay. Uh, uh, but it's different. Soupier? <laughs> like no, a, I don't I don't it but, goes from a thick lentil to a, a to yeah. a to a chicken broth. No, this you is do a ha- follow up episode on August twenty sixth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is what happens. How you, you get feeling? Older. How's it look? How's the cum look? And you and you how old are you? Thirty seven. So so you you might even be experiencing this. You start crossing lines in your life where you say, oh, that is over for me. Mm. That's, I'm done. And, and, you know, you don't feel that maybe until you're 30s. And I feel like, oh, that's it. Like, I'm on the other side of, of this, this age, is age thing. This is an aging moment for yeah, you. Like, yeah. yeah, I'm, I'm like, I'm, a vasectomy, there's no more kids, no more, no, yeah. more uh, no more fertility. It's just, I don't know. I mean, I'm going to do it. I understand that. 
You're taking, you're graduating of sorts. It, 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 it upsets me. Now, my, my wife is adamant. She's had four kids, three by me. She's very fertile. She's Puerto Rican. It's, it's, all, it's true. And, 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 of course, she doesn't want to have any more kids. Yeah, she's done with it. Yeah, so I, I'm going to do it. Yeah, but you I, should. I, I'm, I, understand I'm I understand that. Do you want, you know, getting older, like, does that, like, you don't like that? Dude, it scares the shit out of me every day. Really? More and more. What it's, scares you the most about it? Um, uh, it's not dying. Okay. It's two things. It is the the uh, period where I won't be able to just do like right now. Even I'm 55, I still basically feel like I did when I was in my 30s. Okay. I can get up. I can run around. I can. Sure. I, can I can bang. I can do. I can do whatever yeah. it is. You know. But you see old people, and they clearly can't. Yeah. So that period worries me. And then, then you know, even like little things which are normal for my age, like being forgetting names or whatever it is, like. Is that gonna be? Am I gonna get worse and worse, or is that just kind of putting on plateau? readers? Yeah, well, that doesn't worry me. But no. just like, how not- old are you? Can I ask? Thirty-two. Thirty-two. Yeah. Because I'm get, I'm starting to like. I now have pain. Like if I play basketball the next day, I'm the whole day I'm in pain. Like yeah. that's not five years ago. That wasn't the case. Now it's there's just random pain all over my body. A lot I, of the time, I the don't mental, like it. The mental thing is gonna scare you much more. Like yeah. I, I, I yeah. losing memory. Yeah, you're just not it. Like you don't see many 55-year-old Jeopardy champions yeah. for whatever reason. It just—it's it's not that there are any. In, in many ways, I'm smarter and certainly wiser yeah. than I've ever been. I can give really good advice to people about stuff, and and really, you, it's good advice. Mm. But I'm slower, and it's just like I, I read my kids a story, and the next day I can't—they remember the names, the characters, and I'm like, do we? Even, I can't remember even reading it. But getting back to the question, what really scares me is not being there or not being vital when my young children are older. That right. really yeah. worries me. And my kids really depend on me. And that, that worries me. But at that point, they're going to be taking care of you. Isn't that the whole deal? Yeah. That's but, how farms used to work. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. But, like, I'll be, I'll be in my 70s as my kids are in their 20s and to a certain degree. Yeah. And some people are really young, 70. Like my father, even though he died at 73, at 72, he was indistinguishable from the way he was at 42. Mm. And some people at 72, they're old men, you know? Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, just don't know what the future holds. That, that worries me. Yeah. That worries me. I can understand that. I mean, that's... You guys, you guys have way more things to worry about that because your, your careers... Are, are huge stress inducers in and of themselves. Tenuous and could go away tomorrow. Yeah, they can go away tomorrow. Like, I, I'm, I, I'll let you talk about it. I, I'm friends with one comedian mm. who, you know, it's like up and down. He gets a TV role, they're not, and, and, and like, but he has a family and a house. And like, this kid, this guy must be just going crazy no with stress because you can't make any decisions. Should we get that house? Should we get. Well, I don't know what tomorrow is going to hold. Well, that's a, that holds you back a lot from life. Like, I, I mean, I feel that way with like, dating and relationships like any relationship I get I'm like yeah I don't know what next year is gonna be and how could I make you the promise of getting more involved with you yeah you know I think a lot of people like a lot of comics put off life stuff just because they're like well I can't I I have to keep going just as hard every day to make sure that next year is as good as this year if I'm going this hard at it now I have to keep doing that because you know the things I want haven't come yet yeah you know, it's, I think it's especially hard for comedians, even harder than for musicians. It's a profession. Like if you're a, if you're a competent musician who can get hired on gigs, mm. 
even if you're you know, like a, a session player or a background player, you kind of you kind of know that you've got it under your fingers and you'll always be able to get work. But yeah. comedy is so fickle. You don't know. You There's really also don't no know. comedy nostalgia tours. There's you no know? comedy like, nostalgia tours. <laughs> yeah, you can't play right, you can play go right hits. now and see a tour where it's like uh, Marcy Playground and Lit yeah. and Gin Blossoms doing like a 90s revival mini festival and people go and flip out to hear like, hey, Jealousy. Yeah. Nobody's going to come in 15 years to hear me do like my... My, my joke about growing up in Jersey because they were so fond of it Unless you're then. super famous like Seinfeld. Sa- well, yeah. Seinfeld's yeah. like the only one who can really like, do that, yeah. right? Gaffigan can do Hot Pockets maybe on a tour. Yeah. yeah. And that's, you know, I, I, I think that's the beauty of like what's going on right now with like... And podca- it's a handful of comics. Yeah. It's, it's, like, it's like being some young guy in a hood boxing... Yep. Getting you know a, a, a brain a Parkinson's disease because there's a handful of heavyweight champions out there. Yeah. If you do the numbers on comedians that are older and still and at the level that everyone aspires to, they're very depressing numbers. But I think that's yeah. that's why it's it's nice to be able to put out your own stuff now. Like I think like what you did with the local access show, like that is you taking it into your and I, you know I believe in that. Like every I. You know, that's taking it into your own hands and creating. And then someone says, look at this person creating. That's energy that's going and then they're moving forward. I want to be involved with that guy. Like, I mean, I started a podcast just because I liked radio. And I matched up with, like, a Twitter account that had big numbers. And I was like, let me be your podcaster. And, like, it's nice that I can speak directly to an audience and keep telling them, hey, help me grow. You know, it's not in yeah. the hands of... Someone saying, well, you're not the look I need. You know, you're not the this I need. I, and I think we're slowly, you look at like a website like Patreon. where I, ne- I never heard of it. So Patreon, you can just subscribe to creators that you like for a dollar a month, and they can keep creating for you. And there's people making thousands of dollars a month just because they have an audience, and they can say to someone, I'm going to be your guy. Like I, you, You'll get stuff out of me yeah. for this dollar a month less than a cup of coffee and that's kind of what it's moving towards we're all moving towards being apps I think there's there's real potential for a lot of artists to make a little money more than there ever was there's a lot of people who can probably pay their rent and get by than there's mm-hmm. ever been before but what there will never be again is oh you get to go to Montreal and get a five year holding deal from a major that's done that's done that yeah. whole you just go live off this and think of a show and pitch us in two years when you come up with it that's never happening again um, and I know, like, on my end, like, like you said, like, this last year has been all this buzz for me, and it's been very nice, and I feel very lucky, but I also, there were 15 and a half years where no one ever heard of me, and where all I did was slam my head against a wall, and all my fans were these underground cult people who part of what they liked about me was that I could not figure out how to succeed, and they were just watching me on public access. It's nice to have those people, but it's also like, and now the past year and a half, there's buzz. I'm making more money than I ever did, but I know in my head the whole time logic dictates. There's been one out, of, one and a half out of 17 years that have gone well. At some point, this buzz is going to go away, and it's going to be back to the grind. So don't fall not in love with this. Not, you know, they not necessarily. Out? Uh, I've, I've, I think I've done a very good job of maintaining my integrity. I think the fact that I did it the way I did means that I haven't had to totally sell out. I think I've also done a good job of not pretending, like. I'm not trying to turn around to those fans who were with me five, six years ago. Hey, yeah, I'm still the public access guy who's like this do-it-yourself punk rock, screw the rest of the entertainment industry, I'll go on public access and just do my own thing. If you like it, you like it. Wayne's World. Yeah, Yeah. I'm not, you know, it has that Wayne's World vibe, and now I'm in the Noah's Arcade phase of the movie 
But it's like, I'm not going to pretend that there's not commercials now. I'm not going to pretend that there's not higher stakes and, and corporations giving money to it now. Um, so as long as I don't pretend, I think people respect it and, and they don't throw the sellout card too much, you know, but a lot of it is just how do you start as an underground guy and sell out responsibly and do it in a way that you're okay with, you know? And It's got to help that, like, especially with Judd, too, like, that's like, he's got that cool touch, you know? Like, yeah. he, even though he's Hollywood and he's got these connections to HBO, I don't think he's thought of in that way. I think he's still thought of in, like, that's a guy who gets funny and gets creativity and is on the side of a creator. Yeah. Well, I, I, I don't know this, but I would imagine that first and foremost, he's, he's a guy who makes money for the people who trust in him. Yeah. And like Mo Green always made money for his, Hyman Roth always made money for his partners. Yeah. That, I mean, that's Judd Apatow. Nobody, very few people have, have lost a lot of money by investing in a Judd Apatow I, project. I think also with like from the audience's perspective, like they're like, oh, that's a Judd Apatow film. Yes, that must be yes. cool has, and funny. His, his brand is very, yeah. very respected. Yeah. 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 I, I saw it from the HBO end. They're like, I mean, I can imagine it. Like, you know, we don't even know anymore. But if if if, if just says likes so, it, <laughs> audience no, trusts him. Trust we trust it. It helped yeah. me a lot. Yeah. It helped me a lot. I went from public access to HBO, and, and that way, would and not have happened not based on my merits alone. Well, and you helped him too because there's a huge buzzer about your show, which means that his batting average is still. I, I was happy to work hard and come through for him on that. You know, I think one. Of, it's funny when you're asking about the selling out thing too. I think one of the things about the modern world and so much like creator driven stuff and, and smaller stuff like we're saying is like I think one of the keys to selling out is not caring if it fails not caring if it goes away like we're, I'm just gonna have to do it this way and either they like it or they don't and that's one of the things I'm very proud of with my career is like if it does all go away tomorrow I'm very content with the fact that I did it the right way that I did it a way I'm proud of and I think that's I think that's a big aspect of that conversation as well is like if you're ready to die on the sword doing it your own way then I think you tend to succeed even if it's in a non-traditional fashion people you know? respect that yeah and i think that's i think that is part of why judd maybe liked me was like you have carved out your own little corner of things and i see that you have a voice and i think he knows one thing that i think he's an ex extremely well positioned to do is to amplify amplify other people's voices and i think there might be a little bit too much in comedy of people trying to angle to get in the room where things like that are happening and then getting there and not having much to say I think I was the opposite. I spent 15 years banging my head against the wall, but I had to figure out what I just wanted to say at the end of the day. So when he finally noticed me, it was right there on the surface, and he was able to help. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you 100% that in what you're saying. I think that people who move the ball down the field artistically uh, can only do it because they have, whatever it is, something that makes them unique. Now... Most people don't have something that makes them unique, so most people are going to die trying. But if you are going to make it, you're only going to be able to make it by trusting in whatever it is, or not trusting is the wrong word. Spinning, the, you know, you're going to have to put all your chips on that thing that makes you unique. And if it works, it works, and if it doesn't, it doesn't. Because someone else, to try to be what someone else has done in some way, well, the guy who did that, the guy who was unique and did that is going to do it way better than you'll ever be yeah. able to do it. You're mm. never going to be that guy. I would imagine you must see that here all the time, right? People who want to be on the stage to say they were on the stage, not as a, not to be on the stage as a reflection of the fact that they got good enough to be here before. We and I would that, imagine it doesn't go well when that happens. It doesn't go well. We also see something else, which is people who are sometimes uh, infected by uh, other comedians, and you see it, and you see it kind of take over, like. There are a lot of comics 
who are so in awe of Dave Attell, mm. you can actually see Dave Attell coming through them. I don't know if you ever see that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and you and they're funny. Yeah. And you, but you wonder like, well, it's kind of saying like, well, okay, but you know. This is still, you can see it's David Tell. You know, like, so how much can you, how far can you take this? Because you're never going to be David Tell. No, I'm he's just, already yeah. nailing that. Yeah, yeah. No he, one, he's no nailed that a little that. harder than the rest of us can. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, I have this fantasy. I've talked about it on the radio, but I'm trying, I had a meeting with somebody important about it last week, but I can't get off square one, that I think there should really be a David Tell documentary. Mm. I would watch it. I would sign up. Because, yeah. because my, my pitch was that, the most uh, revered comic mind in the country is basically unknown to the public as as what he is. People kind of heard of David Tell, but nobody, very, very few people, except for real comedy junkies, understand just how respected David Tell is. Yeah. Like, if I ask comedians, like, who are the top three comics of all time? Many of them will list David Tell well, in that short list. Like, he was left off of that... Rolling Stone yeah, that, that's, that's exactly. That's ridiculous. It's insanity. Yeah. It's I mean, insane. you're, you're like, who are you to write the list? You just excluded yourself from writing the list if you left him off the list. Exactly. Like, and you're, you're some kind of half-baked expert, right? Yeah. And every famous comic in the country would sit for that documentary. Uh, yeah, right? yeah. So in terms of like marketing it, it would be like just boom, boom, everybody, everybody. Yeah. So it just seemed like it would be a great topic for yeah. the documentary. Because he's also such a f fascinating guy because... As someone who watched him from afar for a long time, being in this city, his act indicates one thing. And then when you sit and talk with him for the first time, it's like, oh, this is a very empath an insanely empathetic, astute, gentle guy at times in conversation, mm, he is. which you don't always expect from his act because yeah. his act reflects such a different type of pathos that comes pouring out. And then there's just clearly so much, so many more sides to it that get him there. And I would watch that documentary just to try to find out I what exactly out leads to, to the stuff that comes out of his mouth. Because it's not what you think. It's so much more layered, whatever's going on inside his head. It's, and you also never see him, like, with a pen and paper. Like, he walks in ready. Yeah. He wrecks in ready. Like, I love watching him walking because he's ready for work. You know, and then he's like, okay, we'll do the new ones now. Like, you know, just from watching, you know, his sets when he's here, like, he'll, he'll start out and go, those are the ones I know will work. And, like, he's, like, you can hear him churning. You know, on stage, and it's just like, but I've never seen him walk in and be like, ah, I don't know what yes. I'll do. Like, he comes prepared. He's also one of those guys, he's one of the only people I can think of where I'm like, if they just never turned the light on, I feel like he could just go, and it would never get, it would never dip. Never. Yeah, never. There's not a well where he's like, now I've got to go to the B stuff or the C stuff. Like, yeah, I just don't no, believe he just goes he, to subjects. I don't even think know? he has, I think he only has A stuff, and he could do it for hours. And it'll be different every night, too. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I, I watch comedy, like, I'm, I'm, I don't pretend to be any kind of comedian or anything like that. But I'm, you know, I have a good sense of humor. And in life, you know, I, I, I hey, Judd. Uh, hey, hello. Sorry. Speak of the devil. I got to go. I'm doing a benefit next door. We're going we to just come watch so you. so much shit about you. So, this is Judd Apatow. The great Judd Apatow. I'd like to be, but apparently I'm helping people. <laughs> I was just I telling, do. I was telling a lot. I was really just talking very recently about how I did most of um, what I've done on my own the past year. Without and that my help. you sort of hitched your wagon to my I star did hitch a little. My, my wagon <laughs> no, that's how I do look at it. I go, "There's Chris with this great show, and he does not know how to get it to the people." 
and I will hitch my wagon, and I will bring it to the people. It's a very nice thing. And you know what? Tow truck. I brought it to the people. <laughs> you did. What I actually said was that you showed any slight interest, and it made me work harder than I've ever worked on anything so as to not fail you. It felt like it would be sad if people didn't see it. That was, that's very nice. You know, you see a lot of one-person shows, and you feel like they all disappear into the ether to be immediately forgotten. And I, I'm so happy that it exists. And you can go to HBO uh, Go or Now and uh, and watch that. It's a miracle, isn't it? Yeah, I feel very lucky. I, I was feel also. Like I'm a strong producer. I've never. It's fantastic. I, I don't think I've asked. Them, I was telling them how. The think way, you're gonna make a kid. I was. I was telling them how I was amazed by this. I don't think I've ever told you how much this blew me away. That the way it went. You just emailed the president of HBO. That's right. I don't. No one else gets to do that. That's Only how you it get works to do at that. At a high level, Chris, this is how it works. You get to just email people like that. Let me tell you how the world works. It's just uh, you know, Putin pulls Trump over. Uh huh. Does uh-huh. a little sidebar. Uh huh. That's just like uh, I'm like Putin in that situation. You're the Putin of comedy. <laughs> yeah. Wow. HBO is Trump. That's that's the that's how the world works. It's all done in back rooms. Yeah. And you got talked about in a back room. I was amazed. When you, you sent me an email that was like, hey, showed, the, showed your video to HBO. They like it. I was like, that's not how actually, that works. It actually could have been more like Donald Trump Jr. talking to that Russian lawyer. Mm, that I like might that. be a better analogy. <laughs> yeah. Can I ask you one question? <laughs> yes. How much of it is because being clever and understanding the trends and trying to predict the trends and all this kind of like gobbledygook that people talk about, and how much of it is just... It struck you as funny, so you think it'll be a market for it? I think I, I, I was just moved by it. I knew it was really funny. Not it was just him, funny. in general, in all these decisions. In general, I think some people feel like they have a story to tell, and you feel like, oh, I can help them you know, get that together in some way. I like people have something to say, and that's it's something that seems unique. And I like when it seems like it might be difficult for them to pull it off on their own. So it didn't seem like anyone was going to knock down Kamal's door to do his uh, Muslim coma film. And I, I, I felt like it deserved to be out there, and I knew it was a beautiful story, and that him and Emily would do a great job. But it's fun for me to try to knock doors down for people who deserve it the way people did for me uh, when I was uh, trying to get those opportunities. But, but you, you have a thing where what you find interesting and entertaining seems to line up with the public. Now, not everybody has now. that. It didn't used to. It only took a decade or two of failure before it lined up. All right. You know, all my shows were canceled uh, first season. So I had three shows canceled in the first season before the season was over. And then I did three pilots that did not get picked up. Uh, and had a couple of movies that did not do well, three movies that did not do well. And then uh, when Anchorman came out, suddenly it, feel, it felt like things changed. Did you learn conscious lessons, or it just, it just got easier somehow? I kind of can't put my finger on it. Like, I loved Will Ferrell for years. I couldn't get anyone to do a, a, a movie where he was the lead. It took us years to convince people to let us make Anchorman. And then when he was so great in uh, old school, suddenly people were more open to that idea. And then Elf, then they did Elf, too. I've always heard you famously had, like, there's that story about when Freaks and Geeks got canceled that you were like, I'm going to make every one of these people a star now. Out of revenge. And that chip on the, I feel so lucky about, I'm sorry you had to go through it, but that chip on the shoulder clearly still exists and has now benefited me. You're my latest geek. (laughs) 
<laughs> I ran out of cast members. Do you put do you put all your member. current do you put all your current proteges or the people you mentor yes. into freaks and geeks categories? In my head, uh, you are <laughs> a, uh, a geek. What about Lena? Um, Lena is a geek. I feel that she yeah. uh, feels geeky. Schumer. Uh, Schumer's kind of freaky. Yeah, a little bit. I know she's got some geek in her, but she's a, she might be a Long Island freak from the old school. You know, in my high school, there was a. a smoking section our school like the, the hall surrounded like a square that was outside and we were allowed to go outside and smoke we had that in my high school too. Yeah. is that weird yeah we had hundreds that. of kids outside powering cigars no one checking the age of any of these children yeah I mean, it was just a different time okay i'm gonna go do a benefit for schumer next door We'll be seeing you. Because I care about people. Not just Chris, <laughs> I also care about other people. Thank you, Judd. Great seeing Judd you, Judd Apatow, everybody. By the <sighs> way, weren't you supposed to show up for his uh, Judd Apatow and Friends show? I fucking screwed that up. Sorry, oh. pardon my French. Oh, oh my, God. my God. I had seen him the day before, and he was with Wayne Fetterman. And I thought he had said, I think we're good, just me and Wayne, because I'm doing an hour. And it turned out that he had said, I, I think we need you, even with Wayne there, and even with me doing an hour. Uh, I just totally misheard him. And I have not been past here so long, so then it's terrifying to me that you're even bringing that up because no, I was. No, don't worry about it. I started getting the texts. <laughs> well, you can imagine on mine, I'm home. I had just gotten off the train and I'm getting texts that are like, hey, where are you? And I was like, did I just manage to piss off both Judd Apatow and the comedy seller with one bonehead move? <laughs> like, no. I was, as, an, as a notoriously anxiety riddled man, I was like shitting my pants with fear at that. I, feel, I can't speak I for still Judd, really but bad. We, we weren't mad. I, mean, I was angry. I can imagine. <laughs> I, I'm letting everybody. I never want to let anybody. I'm a Catholic. I never want to let anybody down. That's like the whole thing that we do. And then I let everybody down. I was very mad at myself, and I'm usually not like that. It'll never happen again. I promise. What was it? We're just about finished with time. What was the, what were we talking about right right before Judd came over? Does anybody remember? What about you getting your balls cut off? Oh, or about something? A, a tell. Oh, a tell, right, a right, tell. right, right, right. A tell had a vasectomy. Last thing about a tell. <laughs> so I say I'm I'm I'm. I'm you have a sense of humor, but not. And I so I look at a lot of comics, and I've said this before that I say to myself, well, you know, if I spent five years, mm. like five years every night going on stage, I think I could put together a, a good fifteen minutes. Sure. I, I just really think I could. I, you know, and so I see. So I put a lot of comics in that category. Like I said, anyway, like I, I play the guitar. Like I, I see some guitar players say, you know, I could, I could do that, right? But then you see somebody like Attell. And you realize that that is a natural ability on a different order altogether. Yeah. I could try, I could spend 20 hours a day, and I wouldn't get one inch closer to that. It's one of my favorite feelings in the world when you see someone like that. You agree with that analysis, right? He, I, he, I agree yeah. with that, and I love like it. Him. And I will say, being a comic, you go on stage, and I think for those of us who do it a certain number of years, you learn how to do it. You learn how to make your batting average higher. You're going to bomb sometimes. There's going to be nights where it doesn't go well. You learn how to make it go well more often than not. And there's, uh, there's the chance that you might convince yourself that you're actually good at this. And you might be better than you used to be, but when you see the people like that, and when you see the sets like that, and you realize, I do not know a thing, that is one of my favorite feelings in the world. Humbling. Back to the drawing board, back to work. Do not ever forget that at the end of the day, you put your head down, you work hard. Look, there's no shame in being Neil Diamond. But you're yeah. not Mozart. You know, let's have something yeah, like, 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 sure. like, like, you can still be great. For sure. But Attell is just, I it's, love it. Yeah, he's amazing. He always it's, does. I just, had Tig, I just was at a festival and Tig Nataro went up. And I don't know, I love Tig. 
I just watched her do a set where I was like, oh, I, f- I feel like I've never done comedy. I feel like I've never done an open mic. Mm. It's insane how good that set was. And then all I did was work. The next few weeks, all I did was think about jokes. How do I do anything that good? I love it. I love being inspired. I love, there's certain, pe- there's those people. There's those certain people. You don't, you don't miss them. Yeah. I if you agree. do, you're being cocky. You're being arrogant. I, I think it's a nice uh, sentiment, nice optimistic sentiment to end on. Absolutely. Gentlemen, Chris, thank that was you such very a pleasure. Much. I'm so sorry I missed that set at that thing. <laughs> Most of what I take away is that you, for my reason, the whole, in my mind, the only reason you invited me here was because you were mad about that. That's what I take away from this. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, even Sherrod Small can't really get banned from this club. There's, there is no way to get, once you're in, you're in. I mean, except, except if you're not funny, that's it. Otherwise, that's very nice. All right. Uh, good night, everybody. Thank you very much. Thank you. That's fun, dude. That's fun.